Well, again, welcome. Um, I tell you, with the music today, um, if I were you, I'd probably stick around for the second service and you can leave right when I get up to preach. Um, and you can just worship again, worship some more. We're in a series right now that we just started uh, last week with Pastor Jim walking through the introduction and walking through Revelation chapter 1 as we're looking at the messages to the seven churches in Revelation. And so one of the things that we are giving you is just a resource for you is right here. It says conquer on the top. You're going to learn a lot about that word and why it's so important during this series and the coming weeks. But it's right there, conquer, and it gives you a list of the seven churches. It gives you a list of the praise that is given to each of the churches, the rebuke, what it tells us about God or Jesus, and then the, the primary or the main takeaway that we have for all those churches. We put those on every other seat or so. If you need one of those, you didn't get one, I would encourage you to grab one as you leave today. You're not going to need it for the message, but it would be a wonderful resource for you to be able to have as we dive into this, especially as we talk about, even this week, the, the city or the, the place of Ephesus, the church there in Ephesus. Um, we really need to understand and process the messages of Jesus Christ. Sometimes I think we forget in the book of Revelation that this portion of the book, <laughs> the letters are red, meaning they're from Christ. John is the hand, yes, but Jesus Christ is speaking these words. And he's got powerful words for the church, for them to learn from, to really, uh, I think for even us today, to gain a lot of insight from. And so as we dive into the story and the, the, the letter, the message to Ephesus, I want to begin with this picture that you see of a kid. There's a great picture here, and he's holding his hand up, and it says what? I don't care. Everybody just say that together. You sounded like you don't care as you said that, right? I, that's, but that's true for a lot of people. Here he is, and he has his hand up there, or he had his hand up there, and it says, I don't care. It's the easiest way for, you, for me to be able to communicate to you about what Jesus Christ is really speaking to the church there at Ephesus. These are, these are messages that are, they are receiving that majority of time there's a little bit of praise, but there's also a rebuke, an opportunity for Jesus to say, hey, you've missed out on something. And one of the, the main lessons that we're going to take away from this church in Ephesus is that they really stop caring. You know, for us, I chose that picture partly because, you know, uh, years and years ago, everybody started lifting up their hand, kind of like, talk to the hand, you know what I'm talking about? Like, they would, all of a sudden, they just put their hand up, which really meant, I don't care, I'm walking away from you. Which isn't a very good thing, by the way, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to stop doing that. I know it's just fun and, and, and it's for laughs, but that's really the story for Ephesus. You see, here's a, a church and by the way, this church is a church that actually sent out to start all the other churches that are listed. So this is a church that probably felt really good about themselves. They're the church who would have had their shoulders back, their chest out, kind of puffed up a little bit because they felt really good about who they were and all that they had done for the kingdom, all that they had done for God. It was a, a, it was a city that really was an important place 
Um, I want you to think New York City. I want you to think L.A. It was very important. Um, it was probably the third, maybe even the fourth largest, something like that, third or fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. Had 20 temples. It had a marketplace. And it was just a, a, a remarkable place for trade, for business. And so it felt really good about itself. In fact, you can see a map um, that right there in the middle you see Ephesus um, that's the beginning of all these messages the messages actually send around clockwise okay because then it goes to Smyrna and it goes all the way in Laodicea to the right is the final message that we receive here in Revelation and you can see the pattern there and this is the church that is right there and yes I know it says Asia it's not the Asia that you're thinking of today Right, um, But there is this great example of then, it's right there on the port, so it's important because of all the different boats and the ships and everything that else is coming in. They felt great about themselves. They felt wonderful about themselves. Literally, in a week from today, next weekend, I'm going to be preaching an immense conference for several churches. And so on Thursday, I fly in uh, to New York City. I think about New York City when I think of Ephesus. Because they felt great about themselves. New York City, trust me, I lived there for seven years right above it. They feel good about themselves. There's a pride to being from Michigan, right? You get all the stickers and everything else, and everybody's like, see the hand, I live right there. And, you know, there's a pride that comes with people who live in Texas, the Republic of Texas. Um, but, man, New York City, there is a pride. There's a pride. They feel good about their city. And I'm certain that the people of Ephesus felt good about who they were. Because they are there, they, they have a theater that would seat 24,000 people. Major commerce is happening there. Paul was there for at least three, maybe even four years. About 40 or so years before this book would have been written. It's an important place. Paul's there in Ephesus longer than any other city that he had been to. And so he commends them. He congratulates them on all that they were doing. In fact, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, this is what it says. It says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Christ is commending them. He's, he's praising them for some of the things that they were doing. The first thing that you see there is that he says that Christ is praising their labor. He knows that they're working hard, that they're working to the point of even weariness, that they weren't the kind of Christians who wanted the box seats and just to come and sit back and watch everything else happen and make sure that they were being entertained enough. They wanted to be involved. They wanted to get their hands dirty, and they were excited about that. They were willing to do some of the hard work, to do the labor of what was needing to take place. And so this is being brought out in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Another thing that he says, he says, I know your perseverance. Another translation in the ESV, it says, patient endurance that you have there in front of you. I know your patient endurance, that you're willing to stay the course and you keep trying to do what you think you need to do. You won't give up. You keep sticking with it, even when you have been beaten down. 
you're enduring, you're patient, you're remaining faithful. You know, there's this constant threat. This is vital for us to recognize and to know kind of the temperature of the city that's being written to, the church that's being written to. Here's the temperature of Ephesus is that they are someone who they recognize, they see, they know that they will be persecuted for not worshiping the pagan gods or, or calling on the emperor himself. But they stayed faithful anyway. They endured. 30 says that, hey guys, you know what? You're intolerant of sin. You don't put up with a lot of stuff that you know is not godly. You're intolerant of it. You have a holy standard, which is a wonderful thing. And so here they are being characterized by their service and their steadfastness. And in a lot of ways, I think a desire for sanctification to be cleansed. They had not lost their sensitivity to sin. They stayed faithful. And this is really the message, the, com- com- the commending that they received, this praise uh, that they receive is, hey, guys, you know what? You're staying faithful, and you don't do the wrong things. You're, you're being good people. That's the message in verses 2 and 3 of Revelation chapter 2. But then it continues on in verse 4, because then Jesus comes. Don't you hate this kind of letter? Like, I get, I get a little skeptical when I, get, I receive a letter and somebody says, hey, I wanted to thank you for this, this, and this. And when you see the word but, you know what I'm talking about? Even in conversation, a dialogue with someone else, and you're talking to them, they're like, hey, I just wanted to say blah, 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 but, and as soon as they say but, I go, oh, no, here it comes. Here it comes. Well, the same thing's happening. Because in verse 4, he says, but I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. I'm going to go ahead and get to the, the point on this. You need to know right now that sound doctrine is inadequate and useless without love. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, but the greatest of these is love. Sound doctrine, I'm not saying, listen, I am not saying that sound doctrine is not important. Sound doctrine is of great importance. But what I'm trying to communicate to you, because he's communicating this to the church at Ephesus, is you can have all the knowledge that you want, you can have all of the understanding that you want, and you can make sure that you're not doing the bad things, and you're going to be devoted to whatever you are taught to do, no matter what. But if you do not have love, it is useless. And a disciple must thoroughly examine whether they have forgotten their love for Jesus. I mean, to me, this message to the church there at Ephesus is a message for the United States of America, for all people who are attending church today. For all people who think that they know um, how good they are because they're not doing the really bad things. They're behaving themselves on the weekend. They're somewhat moral, somewhat ethical, as long as it's not too far off the center aisle. And they're doing what they think that they need to do. But they're struggling because they have forgotten their first love. To me, more than any other church, 
I would say Ephesus and Laodicea, I go the, the, the first one and the last one there, I go, man, does it not summarize what the church has become today in America? Why? Because we have forgotten our first love. And this was powerful for them because you even think about the Jewish tradition. In the Jewish tradition, they, of course, had the Shema, which is the love of the Lord your God with everything you have. It's kind of like the first and the greatest commandment, right? It tells us that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And so this is something that has been rooted and established and ingrained in them. And yet now they have forgotten that love. And they're doing everything that they're supposed to do. But man, you know what? They've, this is what happens to people who have all the knowledge that they think that they need to have. But they have forgotten their first love, Jesus Christ. They become what we call fuddy-duddies. Right? Because I've never met anybody who has all the knowledge but is a big fuddy-duddy because they forgot the love of Jesus Christ. And they go, man, I want to be like that guy. They've forgotten their first love of Jesus Christ. Guys, I cannot preach that enough. Because that's our, listen, if we keep our first love, if our love for Jesus grows, the world will look at it and they will be dumbfounded by it. They will be attracted to it. They won't even understand it, but they'll know they want it and they need it. And they will flood to the churches to learn more about Jesus Christ. We have forgotten our first love. We are well behaved, but we're fuddy-duddies. Right? That's the nicest name I came up with. And it's because they have forgotten their first love. It says actually that they had abandoned. Wow. Isn't that powerful? They had abandoned. They had forsaken their first love, their love for Jesus Christ. That means this. If you have abandoned something, you have walked away from it. You've walked away from it. You've given up on it. You've let it go. You've surrendered it. You've turned your back on it. These people who once had this deep love for Jesus Christ, now their lives, I mean, they're full of labor and they're trying to do the right thing. And more than anything, they're just trying not to do the wrong thing, but they've forgotten their first love. One way to think about it is that Jesus Christ, you know what, he cares about the attitude that we have for which we do something. Is it being done out of love or is it not? And friends, I don't, I don't mind when others have something necessarily against me and, and the church, especially because I get a lot of, man, you sure do talk a lot about uh, Holy Spirit. You sure do pray a lot. Do we need to, I don't, that stuff doesn't really bother me that much. That makes me just pray for those people more than anything else. But when Jesus is coming <laughs> and he's saying, hey, guys, I need you, I need you to, to wake up a little bit. You start to take notice, don't you? These are the words of Jesus. When it's Jesus that's coming and going, wake up, I need you to pay attention, then you want to give it a different type of focus and intentionality to really absorb it and to learn from it. And so when they're reading this letter, it probably hit them hard. 
You know, it begins with, hey, you're doing this great. You're doing this great over here. Thanks for your patient endurance. Thanks for staying steady. Thanks for not doing too many things that are wrong. But, hey, I've got something against you. And I probably would have stopped reading the letter for a moment. Like, I don't know if I want to go any further. I kind of like the first couple uh, sections there. I'm just going to stop. Because now he's saying, now I've got something against you. And here's one of the the best churches, if not the best church, right? And yet Christ has found what I would consider, what, what it is, is it's a fatal flaw. Isn't, that's significant, isn't it? What's been exposed in their church is a fatal flaw. Not loving Jesus Christ as you should is a fatal flaw. Why? Because their hearts had been hardened. Heartless. And now it was deadly, it was dangerous. Right? To me, that's probably the church that we would walk in today, and they always do everything the same no matter what. Because they've got it down, right? I, I think about that. They're, they're, I, I go, man, their worship is probably the same every week no matter what. They do the same songs, same time. Like They're mechanical in everything that they're doing. The way that they're living their life as a believer. And I'm just going, where is the Holy Spirit that comes in and says, I need you to minister here. Or I need you to come and serve over here. I need you to do this or I need you to do that. And they know what they're going to do and they know what they're not going to do. But they had forgotten their first love. You see, we tend to neglect what we believe we already possess. And they thought that they had possessed this love. They, they thought that you could, uh, you could have a love for Jesus Christ and then it would just continue to nurture itself. The love that you have for God, the love you have for Jesus has to be fostered. It has to be maintained. You can't just exist. In fact, this is, this is how I would describe the church at Ephesus. I'm going to invite my friends to come up right here. If I could have the Hartmans come up. Yay, if you guys could come up. Um, right before the service, I said, guys, I'm going to have you come up on the stage. Don't worry about it. It'll be easy. And they're like, that's all you're going to tell us? I'm like, yeah, you can trust me. No, we can't. I'm like, yeah, you can. Um, if you guys would just come stand up here, I'm not going to make you say anything. You can pray for these guys, by the way. On Friday, they got two more kids um, that they're now caring for in their home. So you can pray for them. But here's a couple. Um, this is Eric and Kimberly Hartman. Uh, you see Kimberly up here singing sometimes and leading worship with us. A couple that loves the Lord, right? I want you to imagine if Eric is standing here and he looks at Kimberly, okay? And uh, I'm going to let you look at her in the eyes because you guys are married. And that would be just awkward right there. Um, and he's going to speak and just be talking to her and say, hey, listen, I want you to know. Go ahead and look at each other. This would be good. Be romantic. Um, he's going to be looking at her and what he's going to do, he's going to sit down with her this evening and say, I want you to know that everything that I'm currently doing for you to care for you, you know, I, I've got the business and, and you've got, you're a nurse and we're doing all this stuff to that, together and I'm helping to take care of the house and I'm trying to care for you where I can. I'm trying to help out with the kid, kids now and all these different things are going on. And 
I, I'm not going to love you. I don't love you anymore, but I just want you to know I'm going to keep doing everything I've been doing so there's no issue. Tomorrow, we would be having a memorial service for Eric. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> he just said, right in the pond. Um, it's called a cinder block and a rope. That's all you need. All right, think, I want you to think about it. Go ahead and look at each other. Be romantic for a moment. And I love making you awkward right now, like this whole un- uncomfortable thing. This is so good. Um, this is the power of the stage. Um, and he looks at her and says, man, I, I'm, I'm going to keep caring for you. I'm going to keep doing what I need to do as a husband, what I need to do as a father, the rules, you know, and and I'm going to make sure that there's food on the table. I'm going to make sure that I'm cutting the grass, whatever my responsibilities are. Don't worry about it. The snur- I just heard the smirk, which means you don't cut the grass, do you? Um, but whatever it is, I'm going to keep paying for the guy to cut the grass, and I'm going to keep doing it, but I'm just, I just don't love you anymore. I just, I don't love you anymore. Right, it, what, this is what would happen. He could speak for 30 minutes about all the things he's going to continue to do, but as soon as he looks at her and says, but I don't love you anymore, none of that other stuff is remembered because he has abandoned her. You can go sit down. Right, it wouldn't work, would it? Nobody's going to say, hey, I want to be in that marriage. I want to be in that relationship. I want to do everything I can to make sure that that's what I'm doing in life. No, it doesn't work that way. And so many people who claim to know Jesus Christ are like, no, don't, don't worry, God. I'm going, to, I'm going to write a tithe, right? And I'm going to make sure that I'm showing up for a Bible study occasionally. And I might even sacrifice a soccer practice or a business meeting one evening. And I'm going to show up for a congregational gathering occasionally. I'm in. I just don't love you. Like, there's no high five to follow that comment, right? There's, no, there's not Jesus sitting there or standing right beside you going, man, that's amazing. Thank you so much. And that's the church in Ephesus. Listen, I understand that the love of Jesus Christ I understand that the love of Jesus Christ is subject to a fluctuation of intensity. You know what I'm talking about, right? Even in our marriages, you have those moments where you're like, man, I love her so much. And you have other moments like, I'm just working to love her. And that's called life. I get it. There's a fluctuation of intensity in every relationship. But here are some people, they're doing the right thing. But there is a fatal flaw. They had forgotten their love for Jesus. Revelation chapter 2 verse 5 says this. It says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. And he says, repent. We all know what the word repent means. Repent literally means to turn around. It's a 180. If you're heading this direction and you're going to the wrong things in life, it says you're literally going to repent. So he's saying repent. Turn back to Jesus Love me, 
saying, repent, do the works you did at first. If not, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, which is saying, I'm going to remove your influence. That's what that means, by the way. I'm going to remove your influence, the light that you have in the world. I'm going to remove it. I'm going to come and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Unless you repent. And he's wanting to make sure that they're understanding this. He's wanting to make sure that they really take the opportunity to process what it would mean to, in their own lives to, to conquer the indifference that they have. I mean, that's the, that's the name of it today, right? Conquer indifference. It's what the church needs to do as much as anything else. We need to conquer the indifference. The Nicolaitans that are mentioned in verse 6 here says, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. It's, this is a wordplay, by the way, which really is talking about the fact that, you know what? You have forgotten what it means to conquer indifference, to be victorious over indifference. And what, what leads to that, right? I think about my marriage. I could have the Hartmans come back up and I could say, what leads to those moments when you have indifference in your life? I think one of the things that leads to indifference in our spiritual life uh, is that we have a loss of hope. Right? These are great questions if you want to go to your spouse even and think about your relationship that you have in marriage, but also the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. You have to ask yourself, have you lost hope? Meaning that God can do something great in that relationship. That leads to indifference. Why try? Why does it matter? Another reason that we struggle with indifference is because of depression. Skepticism. The, thing that the, the part of it that gets me the most though is the loss of hope. I mean, that's, that's a big question for a, a relationship that's struggling, isn't it? To look at your spouse and say, have you lost hope in our relationship? You think about the opportunity to speak with God and uh, to think about him asking, have you lost hope in me? Because I want to remind you that I'm the creator. I want to remind you what I've done for you in the giving of, of my son to pay for your sin. But a lot of times we've lost hope. And so how can we conquer indifference? And I want to I walk through uh, just a couple of these verses that he's speaking to the church there in Ephesus about ways that we can conquer indifference so that we do, instead of saying, I don't care, the, the don't is marked out and it says, I care. So that we can care in our relationship with Jesus Christ and that we can care for other people. How can we really do it? And I love this because here, uh, he just tells you, this is how you can do it. Right? The, really what the summary is is this. If you want to conquer indifference, it's a matter of knowing Jesus more. The more intimately you see the face of Jesus and you hear his words, the more you are going to be driven to be a reflection of who he is. So the more you know him, that's why we talk about 
getting into the word so often. It's why we speak about prayer so often. Because the more you're in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, the more in love you're going to be with him. Right? You, you ever gone to uh, work and you have to work with someone that initially you don't even really care for? And maybe later on, you still don't care for them. But after about a year of working with them, all of a sudden you find yourselves doing things for them. Why? Because you care for them because you know them so well. And so one of the things that we need to do is we need to be exposed to Jesus more than ever before. We need to stop putting Jesus as a last resort. We need to make him first priority. Yesterday we went to Holland my wife is like, hey, for Mother's Day, this is what, that's what she did. She, she threw the Mother's Day card out there. so that I, Before she said anything else, I knew that's what I was about to go do. She's like, I want to go to the Tulip Parade in Holland. I said, honey, there's going to be a lot of people there. She said, it's Mother's Day. I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> we got in the van. We drove over there. The kids are there. And... Um, you know, after walking about 17 miles to get there, we parked in Zeeland, walked into Holland, and we're watching the parade, and we're seeing all of it, and the thing that we forgot, and I blame her because she's the mother, is we all forgot sunscreen. Um, if, if this wasn't being videoed, I would undo the top button, and I had a V-neck on. It's embarrassing, right, because the sun just kept hitting me and hitting me, and my kids would be like, Dad, can I stand behind you? You're real big, and I don't have to get sun. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, so then I just held Bennett in front of all of us like this, my youngest. Um, but the sun just kept hit, hitting me, and what happened? Because I was exposed to the sun, I changed complexions. I'm not always like this. You know what? When you're exposed to Christ, you change complexion. Too many people in the church today look exactly like they did a year ago. And I firmly believe from Scripture that the more you're exposed to the sun, the light of the world, the more your skin and everything else about you would change. You don't remain this. You cannot be in the presence of the Almighty God and remain the same as you were yesterday. It's simply not possible because the light is too bright. That's what happens when you've been exposed to the power of Jesus Christ. And we need more exposure to Jesus Christ if we don't want to be indifferent in our world. And the very first thing, he just calls it out to them. He goes, listen, you, this is what you need to do. You need to remember he says at verse 5, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Go back and think about it. Go back and remember. It needs to remind you of how it was when you first passed out of darkness and into the light that changes your complexion. He tells them, remember that. That's why we say all the time that our transformation is not a one-time event. It's a continual process of walking with Jesus Christ. It's a continual process. It's, we, we talk about the last three months, don't we? If you can't talk about how God is growing you in the last three months, then there's something wrong. Because he doesn't want to bring transformation in your life three years ago and then do nothing else. That's not how it works. He wants continual growth, and you need to go back and sometimes remember. He also then says, as I mentioned before, he says to repent. So first is remember, 
You can write it down. Second is to repent. You want to repent because you've lost your first love. And the decreasing intensity of your love for Jesus is sin. I want to say that again. Your decreasing love of Jesus is sin. That's why it happens. It contaminates you. And so you have to sometimes get on your knees before God and ask him to forgive you for the weakening of your love because the sin has contaminated your heart. And the very last thing he says is, listen, I need you to do the things you did at first. He says, repent, do the works you did at first. There are many things that I do for my wife that sometimes, actually, I'll be honest, I'm not doing for her as much as I am sometimes doing for me. She loves hydrangeas. That's her favorite flower. Yes, that is the most expensive flower in the world. And sometimes I have them on the table waiting for her, even though I know she doesn't really care. Because I need to remember, I need to go back and do the things I used to always do for her. To spark that love. I told her that recently. I was like, she's like, I don't need flowers. Like, you know, I think I did it for me just to remember the love that I have for you from the beginning. She's like, well, you used to get like three bouquets from me every week. What happened to that love? It just shows you that she's a sinner. I won't tell that story in the second service. When she's sitting right up front. But you need to go back and you need to remember those things. You need to practice those very things that you did. I I think about so many people, so many men, so many women who they fall in love with Jesus Christ and they can't get enough and they're taking the scriptures and they're diving into them and they just keep walking and they're calling me all the time and they're reading and they're like, oh my goodness, this is changing my life. I love it. And all of a sudden they get distracted. And I go, why aren't you still diving into the word of God? Well, I got busy at work. Why, but why aren't you diving into the word of God that gives eternal life? That's temporary. This is permanent. Why aren't you diving into that? Well, you know, my kids got sick. Really? That's your excuse? Well, then stop having kids. No, seriously. If you can't handle what you already have and stay devoted to Jesus Christ, don't add to the problem. They lost their first love, indifference. They needed to conquer indifference, and they couldn't do it. We need to conquer indifference. This apathy. I don't believe you can be exposed to the light of Jesus Christ and not have a burning desire to make sure everybody else is exposed to the same light. You can't walk in the light of the world, John 8, 12, and not care if everybody else around you is walking in darkness. It doesn't work that way. We need to conquer indifference by going back and remembering our first love. And that begins with remembering what he's done for us. He says in verse 7, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches. It says to the one who conquers. That's the reason the name of the series. In NIV it says overcomes. But in, in, every, in every single message to every church, he says 
to the one who conquers. This is what he's saying. It can happen. You can do it. You can conquer for Ephesus. You can conquer the indifference. You can overcome the indifference. He has it in every single message to every single church that's being written to, that's being spoken to. You can conquer it. And I will grant you the opportunity to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. You can conquer the indifference because remember, they were doing all the right things, but because they had lost their first love, there was a fatal flaw. There is a fatal flaw, but it can be overcome. It can be conquered by the love of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? I want to end, you with, end with just this one quick thought. The praise team is going to come back out. I know that I'm running a little over. It's going to be very quick, I promise. It's what happens when you, I wasn't here last week. Here's a struggle that we have with indifference. The struggle that we really have with indifference is this. I'm going to come out and see you. Camera guys, I'm sorry. Here's the struggle that we have with it. Is it's hard to look at someone. Like I could look at any of my friends here and go, you know, you, just, you were just mean to somebody. You slammed the door in their face. That, you're, that was mean. That's easy to say, isn't it? Because it's easy to identify the problem with indifference is it's hard to look at someone and go, you know what, you're indifferent. And so what we do is we don't examine the conviction that Holy Spirit may bring on our life. We just assume that that's someone else judging us. That's what happens, by the way. If you don't have conviction in your life, it's only because you do have conviction. Holy Spirit convicts us all the time of all the sin that we have. What happens is we shift conviction, and more likely than anything else, we shift that to somebody else judging us so that we don't have the burden or the responsibility of the conviction. Well, I can't believe you're judging me. That's what happens. You know what I'm talking about, right? Well, it's hard to sometimes play in and to understand the conviction of indifference. But it was a fatal flaw. Maybe I need to define the word fatal, life-ending Life ending. It's one of the, the, the worst possible things that we can teach our children. Indifference. Because Jesus Christ tells us that we are now alive in him. We are no longer dead in sin. We are alive in Jesus Christ. And if you are alive in Jesus Christ, there is no more indifference. There is life eternal and a joy and a passion and an enthusiasm to pursue him no matter what. And it will make you wake up in the morning like a cold shower. And throughout the day you will run forward and you will declare that he is the king of kings. And it can be conquered in the name of Jesus Christ. God, I come before you. And I thank you so much that you would love us who are so indifferent so often, so many times, that you would love us so deeply and so richly. 
God, may we jump into your presence and just like that cold shower, wake up our hearts. Wake them up. Give us the strength and the courage to conquer that indifference in our life. To see your face so clearly that, God, we can see the wrinkles around your eyes because the smile on your face is so big. God, thank you for your love. Amen. Let's stand and declare to Jesus Christ the greatness of who he is.